द लॉ स्कूल ऑफ अमेरिका अक्वाजाइकॉन्ट्रैक्ट और इम्प्लाइड इन लॉ कॉन्ट्रैक्ट और कंस्ट्रक्टिव कॉन्ट्रैक्ट इज अ फिक्शनल कॉन्ट्रैक्ट रेकग्नाइज बाय अ कोर्ट The notion of a quasi-contract can be traced to Roman law and is still a concept used in some modern legal systems. History In common law jurisdictions, the law of quasi-contract can be traced to the medieval form of action known as indebitatus a subset. In essence, the plaintiff would recover a money sum from the defendant as if the defendant had promised to pay it, that is, as if there were a contract subsisting between the parties. The defendant's promise, their agreement to be bound by the contract was implied by law. The law of quasi-contract was generally used to enforce restitutionary obligations. The form of action known as indebitatus assumpsit came to include various subforms known as the common money counts. The most important of these for the later development of the law of quasi-contract included i. actions for money had and received to the plaintiff's use, 2. actions for money paid to the defendant's use, 3. quantum merit, and 4. quantum valabat. Quasi-contractual actions were generally but not exclusively used to remedy what would now be called unjust enrichment in most common law jurisdictions the law of quasi contract has been superseded by the law of unjust enrichment quasi contract and contract a quasi contract was distinct from a contract implied in fact contract implied in fact a person's assent to be bound by an agreement can be expressed or implied in the latter case assuming the requisite formalities for a valid contract are met there is a perfectly normal contract The only distinction between a contract arising by express agreement between two people and a contract implied in fact is that the latter was recognized by a court drawing inferences from facts proved at trial. When the plaintiff sued on either sort of contract, she was suing in the law of contract in respect of a consensually assumed obligation and her remedy for the defendant's breach was damages. Quasi-contract. In contrast, quasi-contract refers to situations in which a defendant is bound as if there were a contract. When the plaintiff sued on such a contract by bringing an action of indebitatus assumpsit, she was not enforcing some consensually assumed obligation, but rather an obligation imposed by law. Penal damages are liquidated damages which exceed reasonable compensatory damages, making them invalid under common law. While liquidated damage clauses set a pre-agreed value on the expected loss to one party if the other party were to breach the contract, penal damages go further and seek to penalize the breaching party beyond the reasonable losses from the breach. Many clauses which are found to be penal are expressed as liquidated damages clauses but have been seen by courts as excessive and thus invalid. The judicial approach to penal damages is conceptually important as it is one of the few examples of judicial paternalism in contract law. Even if two parties genuinely and without coercion wish to consent to a contract which includes a penal clause, they are unable to. So, for example, A person wishing to give up smoking cannot contract with a third party to be fined $100 each time they smoke as this figure does not represent the expectation loss of the contract. A wholesale review of the English law rule against penalty clauses as opposed to penal damages was conducted by the UK Supreme Court in the 2015 judgment in Cavendish Square holding BBB to Law Almacdesi as distinguished from other types of damages. Penal damages are to be distinguished from punitive damages, which are awarded in certain types of tort actions for actions which caused harm to the plaintiff. Penal damages are also different from treble damages, which are generally set by statute for certain violations of competition law and related laws. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. In contract law, rescission is an equitable remedy which allows a contractual party to cancel the contract. 
Parties may rescind if they are the victims of a vitiating factor, such as misrepresentation, mistake, duress, or undue influence. Rescission is the unwinding of a transaction. This is done to bring the parties, as far as possible, back to the position in which they were before they entered into a contract, the status quo ante. Taxonomy. Rescission is used throughout the law in a number of different senses. The failure to draw these crucial distinctions is productive of serious confusion. Although judicature legislation has been enacted throughout the common law world, and jurisdictions vary in their recognition of a distinct body of law known as equity, reference to the jurisdictional origins is still important for the purposes of exposition. Rescission in the sense of termination. Rescission in this sense is not the focus of this article. Where a contract is terminated, obligations under the contract are only discharged prospectively, the contract is not rendered void ab initio. Rescission in the sense of termination covers two key situations. First, where a party to a contract exercises an express right of termination, he or she is sometimes said to have exercised a right to rescind the contract. Secondly, where a party is faced with a repudiation, the party can elect to terminate the contract, this too has often been referred to as an election to rescind. Rescission at common law. Rescission at common law, as distinct from rescission in equity, is a self-help remedy. Historically, the common law courts simply gave effect to the rescinding party's unequivocal election to rescind the contract. Rescission at common law is only available for fraudulent misrepresentations and duress. Rescission renders the contract void ab initio, and courts will only grant rescission under common law if the parties can be restored to their original positions prior to the formation of the contract, restitutio and integrum. Courts of equity exercised a jurisdiction to effect rescission where restoring the parties to the contract to their pre-contract positions was not possible at common law. Rescission in equity's exclusive jurisdiction. Rescission is available in equity's exclusive jurisdiction in a wide range of situations. For example, where there has been an innocent but material misrepresentation, a breach of fiduciary duty, unconscionable conduct, or equitable fraud. In court. Rescission is an equitable remedy and is discretionary. It is used as a synonym for termination at law. A court may decline to rescind a contract if one party has affirmed the contract by his action, or a third party has acquired some rights or there has been substantial performance in implementing the contract. To improve chances of being granted rescission, parties may do well to describe those circumstances which may give rise to an entitlement to terminate as was done in Kumpata Local Aboriginal Land Council v. Sandpine Proprietary Limited. Furthermore, because rescission is supposed to be imposed mutually upon both sides to a contract, the party seeking rescission normally must offer to give back all benefits he or she has received under the contract, an offer of tender. The U.S. state of Virginia uses the term cancellation for equitable rescission. Furthermore, a minority of common law jurisdictions, like South Africa, Use the term rescission for what other jurisdictions call reversing, overturning or overruling a court judgment. In this sense, the term means to be set aside or make void, on application to the court that granted the judgment or to a higher court. Applications to rescind a judgment are usually made on the basis of error or for good cause. Most common law jurisdictions avoid all this confusion by holding that one rescinds a contract and cancels a deed, for example, of real property and treats rescission as a contractual remedy rather than a type of procedural remedy against a court judgment. In Australia, the Court of Equity may grant partial relief under the contract if good conscience and practical justice are observed by the court. By private companies. In finance, law, and insurance, rescission is the termination of the contract from the beginning, 
as if it never existed, rendering it void ab initio. In 2009, one judge ruled that borrowers who refinanced into an adjustable rate mortgage could force a bank to rescind mortgage loans if it acted similarly inappropriately. Rescission is typically viewed as an extreme remedy which is rarely granted. Stock market transactions. In order to have legal certainty and in order to avoid the situation that courts have to decide ex post if a trade should be binding or not, erroneous trade rules of exchanges usually exclude civil or rescission rights. This explains why banks usually have to carry huge losses when clearly erroneous trades occurred that have not been detected within 30 minutes. Insurance. Insurers have the right to rescind an insurance policy due to concealment, material misrepresentation, or material breach of warranty. Generally, to rescind, an insurer will send a notice to the insured and tender a check in the amount of the premium paid for the relevant policy period. In health insurance and specifically the individual and small group insurance markets, rescissions have generally followed the diagnosis of an expensive to treat illness in the patient, policyholder, typically because of withheld information about a pre-existing medical condition. Public awareness of this practice increased during the 2009 U.S. healthcare debate, when it was described colloquially as cancel coverage when you get sick. The practice of health insurance rescission was partially limited starting September 23, 2010, following the adoption of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act in 2010. A House committee report found that WellPoint, now Anthem, United Health Group and Assurance rescinded policies for more than 20,000 people over a five-year period. The House report also highlighted 13 particular cases. In 2010, it was revealed that WellPoint specifically targeted women with breast cancer for aggressive investigation with the intent to cancel, rescind, their policies. The disclosures followed the discovery that Assurant Health similarly targeted all recently diagnosed HIV-positive, AIDS, policyholders for rescission. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS Secretary Kathleen Sebelius sent a letter to WellPoint urging the insurer to immediately end their practice of dropping health insurance coverage for the women. The software technology used by WellPoint as well as other major American health insurance companies is provided by MIP Group. The software automatically triggered a fraud investigation on every policyholder recently diagnosed with breast cancer and searched for conditions not disclosed in the application. The MIP Group provides a follow-up service which allows for a second chance to underwrite based on additional, discovered information during the contestable period. The service is maintained for two years after initial underwriting and may include, among other information credit history, medical conditions, driving records, criminal activity, drug use, participation in hazardous sports, and personal or family genetic history. Consumers can request a copy of the data in their report from MIP Group. The insurer is additionally required to prove an intent to deceive in the misrepresentation. This fraud or intent requirement was extended federally for health insurance contracts effective September 23, 2010 by Section 2712 of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. In the long run the change may have little effect in practice given that the bill eventually will not allow underwriting based on pre-existing conditions. Previously, most states required proving intent to deceive. The Law School of America this has been a Creative Commons licensed podcast. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context.
the Law School of America.